Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving into a big book study today of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today we are on part four, part four of working with others. And in the first two parts, we, well, especially the first part, we talked about how we're going to identify a good prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous. And then in the second part, we talked about how to move them into the action part, you know, to get them started in the program. And the third part, we talked about some of the domestic relations. We may find ourselves as sponsors or just friends of AA to these people tangled up in as our prospect vents and goes through the twists and turns of intimate relationships and sobriety. And in this last part, we get into the practice these principles and all our affairs element. We've carried to the message to the alcoholic who still suffers, and it set us on a course to be able to be helpful. And it gave us lots of great suggestions that hopefully we're doing in our own life that we can then share based on our experience with a new person to AA. There's this other part of the working with others chapter that's really important too. And when you get around holidays or birthdays or significant events, uh, retirement parties or new job parties, babies being born, weddings, this is a really important part because the selfish nature, that root of our troubles, loves to rear its ugly head at these kinds of events. And if I'm to practice these principles in all my affairs, if I'm to demonstrate the power of God, if I am to bring forward into the world an attractive nature of AA, it's going to be important that I've sufficiently Follow the suggestions in order to live this particular way. So there's a lot in here. And you'll hear things in meetings about people not going to parties or they bring a car as an escape. And from this standpoint of this alcoholic, I think that's planning to fail. Planning to fail. And it's going to get into a little bit of that. One of the key phrases is any attempt to avoid temptation is doomed fail. So we get in here and this is how we practice these principles in all our affairs. You ready? We're going to get started. We're on page 100 at the bottom of the page. It says, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. <laughs> People have said we must not go where liquor is served. Some of us believe that, right? We must not have it in our homes. Some of us believe that. We must shun friends who drink. Many of us have bought into that people, places, and things business, right? We got to change our friends. Hmm. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes because I might get triggered. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses because we may become a maniac and just, oh, rip their house apart looking for it. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. It is everybody else's responsibility, right? That's what it's saying. Some of us have that attitude, that it's the world's responsibility to somehow protect us from us, to somehow keep from us this temptation that we create ourselves. It doesn't exist outside of us, but we want to believe it. But it's not there. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. Every time you go to the grocery store, right? There's alcohol there. Every time you drive up and down the road, there's ads for alcohol there. 
Just about any business function or holiday event you go to typically has alcohol. There's alcohol everywhere. An alcoholic who cannot meet them, meaning an alcoholic who can't go to a bar, an alcoholic who can't go to a party, an alcoholic who thinks his friends ought not to drink around him, an alcoholic who thinks his wife shouldn't have a glass of wine with dinner, an alcoholic who thinks his work party ought to honor the fact and be considerate of his alcoholism. That person, that person, an alcoholic who cannot live within these types of environments, still has an alcoholic mind, and there is something the matter with his spiritual status. Let that be your guide. If you feel tempted based on your circumstances, there is something wrong with you. And that thing that's wrong with you is you have an alcoholic mind at that moment and you want to set your spiritual status right. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap. And even there, an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Remember, it's the Eskimo that turned up and ruined it. Not you. This is that idea, that lack of responsibility, that lack of ownership. As you get through steps five, six, and seven, this comes clean. If you thoroughly do it, if you do it like the book says, you can overcome this and walk a free person. Yeah, five, six, and seven, very important. Eight and nine as well. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. Here it is. You guys ready? It's our belief. I mean, your belief. My belief, the people sitting around you's belief, your sponsor's belief, the practicing of AA's belief, the body of AA's belief, the founding fathers of AA's belief, and the people that are surrounding AA's belief. It is our belief. Any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. But avoid those people, places, and things. It's ridiculous. You got to walk tall and you don't bow down before anybody in the name of God. You've got to be able to practice these principles sufficiently to live life to its fullest, not to its least. Do not be afraid. Do not be worried. Go. Get involved. Have some fun. Alcohol is not your foe. You are your foe. That's what this is telling us. It's not telling us to avoid anything. Go and get involved. It is our belief, to say it again, that any scheme, any plan, any notion in your mind of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield, to cover, to protect the sick man from temptation, that strong urge, that desire, that obsession, is doomed. It means to make one sure to fail is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, to cover himself, to protect himself, He may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. It's got a big snapback. It's a big snapback. It's not only going to fail, it's going to fail miserably. You're going to get worse as a result because you're living in fear. Remember that fourth step, fear in the brackets? You're living in fear. Remember the story of the actor, if only the world would do as he says? Living in fear. Hmm. Bigger explosion than ever, it tells us. We have tried these methods, so they've given this a shot. They're telling you it doesn't work. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. I mean, those are some really strong words. 
What you want to do is actually impossible to do, and in your effort, you will never be successful. Always fail. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. Hmm. And then we have this in italics. If we have a legitimate reason for being there, critical qualifier, that includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, and I love this line, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. I'd love to know what he meant by that. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence. And I think there's a lot of alcohols, alcoholics that think it is. They haven't built sufficient trust in themselves. They haven't gone through steps five, six, and seven sufficiently and eight and nine sufficiently to trust themselves to do the right thing. They aren't able to stand tall. They don't get that experience coming out of step five of feeling like a weight's been lifted off their shoulder. They haven't had that sense that they're protected from the drink, safe and secure. They haven't had that problem removed like they say it'll happen. Hmm. This may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. Simple phrase, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion. Remember, it's a daily reprieve. So each day we got to examine our spiritual condition. Ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? You and your sober friends want to go out to a bar and catch a band? That's a good reason to do it. Go. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the music. The thing is, you're going to remember the show. That's the best part. And you're not going to make a total fool of yourself while you're there. And you're not going to try to buy the band 65 drinks to be cool, you know, and all that. Right, go. Go is what it's saying. If you've got a good social, business, or personal reason for going, go. Or, ooh, or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious, or that means felt through others' actions, vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? Like, am I going to go grab and get a Heineken Zero or an Orduels and walk around like I really am drinking, but just not drink? That might be dangerous. If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension, no fear about future events, no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly, mean completely or absolutely thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. That's a critical qualifier, isn't it? As we talk about Practicing these principles in all our affairs, we've positioned ourselves to be of maximum use to God and our fellow man, not to ourselves. So if our motives are selfish, if I'm trying to see what I can get out of it, if I'm going to meet this business prospect for the sole reason of selling him something and I might be sucked into drinking to get that money, to get that deal or something of that nature, if I'm just going to this bar because I want to be sure to get my date a little bit of liquor in them so that I can take advantage of them, right? We're sick like that. Then I might have a problem. I got to make sure my motive in going is thoroughly good. I'm not to think about what I will get out of the occasion. It tells me, think of what you can bring to it. What are you pouring into the stream of life? Are you bringing from our previous reading friendliness and helpfulness to it? But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. There is the reference to the first part of this chapter. When you're not spiritually fit, there is no better way to ensure yourself against another drink 
than intensive work with another alcoholic. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. Elevate everybody else. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically with great interest in the business and its success. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know that they are not to change their habits on your account. Let's say that again. Let your friends know that they are not to change their habits on your account. Let your friends know that you're not going to be selfish, self-centered, self-seeking to make their night more difficult, their party more difficult, because your tender little butt might be tempted. I might be triggered. I got okay, got trigger. I got trigger. Triggers are just excuses. You can use that word all you want, but ultimately, a trigger is something that can be addressed and dealt with and diminished. And if it's not, then it's just an excuse. Hmm. At a proper time and place, explain to all of your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. And I find the most most uh, profitable discussion is to say, "Man, I just don't drink." People are usually fine with that. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Don't let fear have control of your life. Don't let selfishness have control of your life. Move on. Your job, oh, your job, our job, our job as members of Alcoholics Anonymous who have done as thoroughly as possible up to that moment, the 11 suggestions, our job, our job, your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. Hmm. That's not like just it's helpful in any way, like maybe be the designated driver. So other people can have fun, right? Let's be helpful. Helpful. Hmm. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid, the most bad spot on earth on such an errand. It's going to, Bill's taking it that far, that there's literally no place that you, well, can't be helpful. So there's no place that if you're going with a helpful heart, with a helpful mind, with a spiritual intention, with good motives for being there, with a reason to go and be helpful, with the idea of how you can pour into this stream of life, what can you add to it? How do you elevate the mood? that you could go to the worst place on earth, on earth, anywhere on the globe, the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line. Woo, man, stay on the front lines of life with these motives. And who will keep you safe? Not you and your brilliant thoughts. Not you and your self-sufficiency and your morning meditations. That won't do it. Not you and your AA meeting. Nope, that won't do it. Not you and your sponsor. Nope, that's not going to do it. God will keep you unharmed. Your higher power. Remember when we were talking to our prospect and we were to insist on the idea that a higher power of their own understanding is necessary in order to get well. This is why the famous saying is at some point in time, the only thing between you and a drink will be God. And it's not that your sponsor and fellowship and meetings and all that stuff aren't helpful. Of course they are. But there's the possibility that that stuff fails you at a very critical moment. And that's when we go to prayer. Hmm. And if we pray only for God's will and the knowledge to carry that out, the answer that comes that we're supposed to be quiet and meditate and listen for will not be, 
Yeah, go ahead and drink and destroy your life. Go ahead and drink and see if you can get yourself another DUI. Go ahead and drink and see if you can get yourself so physically destroyed that you might die. Go ahead and drink and feel suicidal, homicidal, angry, resentful, fearful. Go ahead and do it. That won't be your answer. That won't be it. But that is your answer if you get yourself in a tangle mentally and spiritually in the wrong situation. So we go to God. We pray. Many of us keep liquor in our homes. We often need it to carry green recruits through a severe hangover. Some of us, have, some of us still serve it to our friends, provided they are not alcoholic. But some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. This is up to you. We never argue this question. We feel that each family, in the light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. We are careful never to show intolerance. Here, here, so important, right? How many of us resent the heck out of somebody who's still drunk in our family? Maybe it's our significant other, our spouse, or our kids. Hmm. We are careful never to show intolerance. Intolerance means it's a state of mind that you get annoyed real easily. Intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution, as an established organization, as a particular bar or a particular brand. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone, including you. Every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us. This is why it's important. Every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us and is immensely relieved, meaning to a great extent relieved, when he finds we are not witch burners. Hmm. Witch burners. <laughs> That's kind of a curious word, but I think we know what he means, right? That we're not sitting there trying to evangelize and reform and all this about the liquor industry and alcoholism. It's not, you know, AA against A, right? Alcoholics Anonymous against the alcohol. It's not that. A spirit of intolerance might repel to cause somebody to not like us might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved. It's so important that we make this attractive. Whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. Stupidity. That's what he calls it. Stupidity. It's stupid. It's stupid to be on that path. Stupidity. We would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good, for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates. And that's true of everything, right? If someone hates something you do, you don't want to hear from them because they have no authority. They have no authenticity to tell you what to do. They hate what you're doing. It wouldn't matter if it's raising horses or racing cars. If they hate car racing, they're like, I hate car racing. It's so noisy. You don't want to hear that. What difference does it make? Maybe you love the noise. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. I think that's happened. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility, anger, anger, resentment, the number one offender. Here it's called bitterness, which is a feeling of deep anger and hostility and aggressive anger. Whew. We'll be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. Neither would I. I'll tell you that. I know I wouldn't. I don't believe you would either. Here it is in italics. After all, our problems were of our own making, and they continue to be. They continue to be. If I think I got triggers, if I think I got temptations, I create that, and I can overcome that with the help of God and the spiritual toolkit that is in this program of action. It is up to me. It is up to me. You want control of your life? You can have it. Pull out that spiritual toolkit and get to work. Pray. Get a God of your understanding. 
all of our problems, all, all, after all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Hmm. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. Wow, that's, I mean, that's such a powerful chapter. You're free. We've walked through the arch of freedom. We are free of the alcohol problem. It's been removed. The vital, vital, vital importance of the 12 steps is really rendered in this last section of working with others, of how to practice these principles in all our affairs. So you go to a family function and you know Cousin Billy over here drinks too much, but you don't drink and you have a great time and you seem almost immune, as it tells us, immune, immune, immune to the atmosphere or the alcohol. You're not even thinking about it. You don't even talk about drinking. Not like, hey, back when I used to drink, I, those drunk logs belong in AA meetings and really nowhere else except for on a 12-step call. Right? We do these things and they can't believe it. They ask us, this happens to me routinely, how do you do that? There's my chance to tell them. I can tell them about AA and how a spiritual way of life gave me control of drinking or put me back with the power of choice of whether I drink or not. And it solved my domestic, my financial, my professional problems in a way I simply couldn't have done it on my own. If you're new to AA and you're listening to this, this may sound crazy. How in the world can that happen? You get the whiff of hand sanitizer and you're like, holy moly, and it, and it pops on your brain. Maybe that is all it takes to trigger the craving for alcohol. And then, you know, if you take a little bit of it, you'll suddenly be obsessed again. We see this over and over again as people come in and out of the program trying to find their footing, trying to make the turn at the turning point towards God. This might seem nuts, but it's not. A thorough effort to completely abandon yourself to AA, to do the first act of service and not drink, is important. And you can gain these skills. Anyone, it says, anyone, anyone, comma, anyone can do this. Anyone. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we can successfully recover. So I hope the discussion today is about that change. Where are you able to go? You got a little bit of time under your belt. What's it like to go to a party where people are drinking? What's it like to serve champagne on New Year's Eve at your own house if you do such a thing? How do you make this decision? Do you have a particular like golden rule style barrier or, you know, some sort of compass that you use to decide if I'm doing this or that? And how do you check your spiritual fitness before you make these decisions? What are you looking for in your life? Have there been times that you do bring a car because you're just not quite sure, but feel it's necessary to go. So you want to be able to escape. What is the criteria for that? Do you sometimes say no because there's some turmoil in your life and you're struggling with something and you just don't think it's a good time? You're not spiritually fit. How do you know? And what has it been like to go to events and have no notion of alcohol, whatever, to pour into the event, to see how you elevate the mood, to see how you can be helpful, friendly, and beneficial to everyone there? What a great discussion. This is the promises of the program delivered. So I hope you guys have a fine talk about it. If you're working with a sponsor, this is going to be great to talk about because these things are what make life in AA fantastic. I hope you have a great talk.